You are about to listen to Defending Black Girlhood Podcast, and I'm your host, Lalita G. I'm a black mother. Look, I don't care what Mookie May May and Lakeisha oh, Mama does. I'm not Mookie May May and Lakeisha's uh, Mama. Tripping. A preacher. Give me the key of D. And Mary had a little baby, and his name was Jesus. A life coach. Look, girl, if Chump don't want no help, Chump don't get no help. Oh, and a singer. And I, and I, and I, no, I ain't a singer. Most of all, I'm an advocate for black girls everywhere they are. And I'm telling you right now, I am unapologetic as hell about my fierce advocacy for black girls to be safe in their homes, schools, and communities. Join us for courageous conversations about topics that most impact our girls and be inspired to do your part in defending black girls in your part of the world. Any scene depicted in this episode is a fictionalized dramatization based on true accounts and public records. We aim to give voice to the story and tragedy of Erica Hill's life. Some information may contain graphic, violent, or explicit language. Listener's discretion is advised. I am starting to live again. I'm now again around people. For the past several years, I haven't really been around people much, nor did I want to be because of some tragedies. I've been scared and beaten physically, verbally, and mentally. I've been thrown out to the elements in the cold and in the heat of the sun. I was stripped of my laughter and didn't know what it was like to be loved or to really live. But for the love of God, but by the grace of God, I'm still here, still standing. Marie Hill. Thank you for joining Defending Black Girlhood podcast again as we continue to tell the story and ask the question, who killed Erica Hill? And in the process of kind of exploring this story, we thought it's important to talk to people both who knew Erica, but who also knew Marie and some other people in the family just to get an expanded view. And so today we're talking to Katina McAllister. She came in just to help us just have some conversation further to explore. Katina, thank you for coming in today. You're welcome. First of all, what just inspired you to be willing to come in and talk about this? Well, I feel like it's a story that needs to be told. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of curious people mm-hmm. out there. Just being in class with her and hearing this story after it all came out, it was it was mind-blowing. So mm-hmm. I think it's important and this may help someone look for signs with certain people. Right. So. Right. And I appreciate you coming in because I know, you know, we had reached to some other folks and some people have just been reluctant to speak. Do you want to speak about that at all? Why you think some people just don't want to talk about it? Some of the folks who knew Marie? Probably because she's well known in the community and people are still in contact with her children. Okay. So. Okay. I would say that's probably the main reason why. Mm-hmm. And so really underscoring what you said earlier, this project is really about learning what went wrong so that we can be more prepared to help to support 
girls like Erica in our community. Right. I definitely understand that it's very difficult to talk about difficult things, but I think there's a tendency in all families, but I know there is an exclamation point in black families where you just don't talk about bad things. Right. I know you've had an expanded view from just some of the work that you've done in the past about around helping support people who have struggled with drug and alcohol. Yes. I just think the struggles that we see in our black community around those issues are not separate from the secrets we keep. I do want to add that I have experience working with people who have substance abuse problem problems, mm-hmm. but also it's important to factor in mental illness mm-hmm. and dual diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And I believe, honestly, that Marie was suffering from a mental illness. Mm-hmm. So I think that needs to be brought to the forefront, especially in our community, because mm-hmm. that's another thing that we don't like to talk about is right. mental health issues amongst the black and brown community. Right. That has come up in a couple of conversations. And I always ask people to really expand upon that. Like, what do we feel that means in terms of decisions and choices that people take in terms of is the mental illness the reason for it? Is the mental illness an excuse for it? Like, where does that fall in terms of decisions that people make when we can see 100 people, same experience as child, similar, because no one has the same exact experience, but similar experience in their childhood. We can see people who've struggled with mental illness, depression, all these things, but they still don't make certain drastic choices. So just in your experience, how do you think that flows in? I'm not really sure how to answer that. All I can say is I feel like everybody, like you said, experience is different. Mm -hmm. And I guess it depends on the trauma that someone has went through as as a family member. Like no one knows what she had to go through Mm -hmm. growing up, what trauma she had to deal with. Mm -hmm. And we're also known not to talk about certain things in right. our community. So quiet is kept. Maybe that was the only way, not talking about what happened, but mm-hmm. as far as because other things did come out about her being abusive towards her own children. Mm-hmm. Um, that was how things maybe were dealt with her and her family. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was like the only reason or the only way that she could deal with it or mm-hmm. the only way she knew how to deal with it mm-hmm. was to lash out. So... It's not an excuse, though. I right. don't feel it's, I don't feel like it's an it's, excuse. It's a factor, right? Mm-hmm. So now you know Marie and Kiara through an adult education program, correct? Yeah. Did you know either one of them before that? No. Okay. So the program, if I'm correct, it runs for like a year for the cohort, or no? It's from September to May, I believe. We started okay. in September. Okay. Yeah. So I know that you all get to know one another pretty well Mm -hmm. through the sharing and things of that nature. So how would you describe Marie as a person? Well, I would say in the like in the beginning, she was like one of the sweetest persons in class. She always came. Well, for the most most part, she always came to class smiling, giving Mm -hmm. hugs, joking around with everybody. Mm -hmm. She was smart, book Mm -hmm. smart. She did really well with the coursework that we were doing because it was 
college level work. Mm -hmm. Overall, I feel like she was like bubbly. She mm -hmm. was friendly. But then she had her days. Mm -hmm. That's how I would describe her mm -hmm. as just outgoing when she wanted to be. Sometimes she kept to herself. And then she and Kiara, her daughter, were in class together. Did anything kind of stand out about their interaction in class? Yeah. I felt like she kept close tabs on her. Mm -hmm. Like her and Kiara would sit next to each other. I do feel like there were times when we were talking about certain subjects, like if we were talking about Socrates or whatever we were learning for the day, if she felt if Kiara answered a question wrong or something, she would just give her just this look. And the only way I can describe it is like an icy glare. Mm. And then there would be times where she would lean over and whisper something. Mm -hmm. Don't know what that was about, but... Mm -hmm. And then was there any kind of overall feeling from other people? Like, did other people witness that interaction? Did people kind of like, oh, did you see that look? I believe so. Mm -hmm. I think there was a f quite a few people that noticed. Sometimes she would come to class smiling mm -hmm. and all friendly, but then there were times where she would just keep to herself and just look. I can't really describe it, but the look on her face, she would look like she was like angry about something or she was deep in thought. Sure. She would turn it on like a light switch mm -hmm. and then turn it off. Mm -hmm. So when you heard about the news that she was arrested for murdering her daughter, Erica, this is some time after you guys were in class, like a couple years yep. maybe later. Yes. And did the class cohort, did they stay in touch? Did you guys still have like We actually did. Yep. Every year there's a get together for previous people that have graduated from the program. But this was never discussed because no one believed it. Everyone was like, we cannot believe this happened because mm -hmm. of the way that she was in class. Right. Like, she was friendly and bubbly, I would say, 98% of the time. Okay. So it was like 2% where she would act indifferent. Right. And I know just a little bit about some of the things that you all would do in class. I know there was deep sharing. And like mm -hmm. every year there's some writings that are published and things like that. Was there anything that ever stood out about anything that she wrote that maybe gave a, a little bit of a window to maybe what she was struggling with at the time? No, not mm -hmm. a clue. I don't know if what she was writing was true to herself. I don't know if it was true or if it was made up mm -hmm. because as far as all of us knew, her life was okay. Right. Right. Her kids were fine. Mm -hmm. And there was a couple times you could tell she was like down in her luck. Mm -hmm. per se and she made it kind of known but other than right. that she was very very private and mm -hmm. i feel like she because she would bring her other kids to class sometimes too okay and she would make them all sit in a certain area and not say a word wow so okay when you found out so the class cohort didn't really talk about it but when you found out what was your initial feeling thoughts response my initial feelings was I actually felt sick to my stomach because they described in detail what she did to that little girl. Mm -hmm. And I have kids mm -hmm. myself. Mm -hmm. So that was my first thought that I sick to my stomach and I can't believe she would do anything like that because like I said, she didn't appear to have a mean streak in her body or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I felt sad. Um, I actually cried because I was mm -hmm. like, I can't believe that she was sitting in class with us acting one way 
but was doing things like this outside of class and how she treated her kids. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my classmates had stayed over her house a couple nights and had told me that she was really mean to her kids. So again, after hearing that, I kind of was like, I can't see her murdering somebody, but I can see her being really evil. Mm-hmm. That look I told you before, mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. an evil type of glare, mm-hmm. like an evil look in her eyes. Like you got the chills probably yes. a little bit when you saw it. Like yes. you knew it was something with that. Yes. And yeah. plus she actually got into an altercation with one of our classmates. Okay. Like verbal and they were in each other's face. Wow. Like it got heated. Mm-hmm. But still, it was just unbelievable it was shock it was i don't even i can't even describe it other than what i said but yeah you know one of the things that i struggle with as i've researched this case and looked at different reports by other people about marie Mm -hmm. and how they know her much to how you described her friendly good mood christian pray for you feed you all these kind of things i've struggled with balancing with that with what was real was that real or was this other personality real? And then is it possible for them both to be true? Right. I, and I'm just going to keep it real. I right. feel like the persona that she was in the classroom mm-hmm. was fake. Mm-hmm. What makes you think that? Because of hearing how she truly acted at home. Mm-hmm. She was herself at home. That's mm-hmm. what I feel. Well, that is when we get real, very real at home. That's mm-hmm. true. It was interesting to me because, you know, I've looked at some documents that talked about, like, there were some folks who gave character witness when they were looking at how to sentence her. Mm -hmm. And everybody kind of was saying the same thing. But at the same time, unlike you and what you're saying to me now, they seemed unwilling to make any shift from how they saw her from the point of, this doesn't sound like her. I can't imagine there must be more to the story, this doesn't sound like her, which I can understand because I think we've all had relationships with people that were one way Mm -hmm. and then you find out kind of another way. You're like, I just can't believe it. And like anytime somebody has done anything, they always find the neighbors and the friends and the teachers that say, he was the nicest boy. You know, so there's always that. When you hear about some of the worst people who have been out there doing, you know, mass murder and stuff like that, you know, like Jeffrey Dahmer, he was so quiet. He just kept to himself. He was a nice neighbor. There's something to kind of that false face that people have. Like some people are just out there with their stuff. Right. This is who I am. You don't like it. You know, whatever. And they don't even bother trying to be any different. Mm -hmm. This investment of this persona I can understand why she would do it, but what's hard for me to understand is like how people, even hearing the same details that you heard, just don't budge from that. Are these people that knew her, knew her personally? Yeah, these are people hmm. who gave character witness statements okay. on her behalf, people that she went to church with, people that live with her in the neighborhood. So these are people who knew her over time. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing, honestly, that bothers me about that is the fact that, granted, it's somebody on her behalf for her defense that's writing this report, okay? Mm -hmm. There was nothing at all mentioned towards any kind of compassion for Erica. There must be more to it. And I'm thinking, any thoughts about what more could be to it? I mean, like, she's dead. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing more to the fact that she's dead. 
that just kind of surprises me to some degree. Yeah. That kind of bothers me. It bothers me. Because that was my first thought was about Erica. It wasn't mm-hmm. about Marie because I was in class with her. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I was like, forget her because I can't believe she would do something like this. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of unbelievable that no one would mention Erica. And, you know, like I said, it was a report that was written on Marie's behalf. You and I have known each other for a while. And I know some about what the kind of work that I do, mm-hmm. you know with women and healing and all kind of stuff and and with girls. And I I think looking through the lens of how we, not just a society, you know, if we look at the broad society and how they view our black girls, and then you start looking at the black community and then you kind of look, it just seems sometimes that everybody else gets care and concern, even in our own community. Mm -hmm. For instance, if I said, Katina, could you, Name me five black men who were shot, unarmed black men who were shot by the police. You probably could readily do that. Mm -hmm. But if I were to ask you or almost any of us, can you name me even three black women who were shot by the police who were unarmed? Most of us can't do it. Right. You know, we all know Emmett Till's name and we know his story, but most of us can't name the four girls who were in the Birmingham church when it was bombed. So you have any thoughts about that? I know you have boys, but you were a black girl. <laughs> so do you have any thoughts about, do we value black girls enough in our own community, in their stories and their issues and experiences? I don't feel like, I won't say all. I was going to say, I don't feel like we do. Mm-hmm. But I will say, I feel like some don't. I feel like, it's all about the boys and, mm-hmm. and what the brown and black boys are going through mm-hmm. and how brown and black boys should act if they get pulled over by the police or if they're being interrogated by a person that's not a person of color. And I feel like all this information is put out for boys, but mm-hmm. the same information I feel like is not for girls. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that is. Yeah, it's just kind of a... A curiosity, but it's also why I think having these kind of conversations is important and exploring these issues is important because one of the things we're doing is they're reporting that 65,000 black women and girls are missing. Mm-hmm. I saw that. And this is of those who have been reported where the police have been called. There's been some kind of case open social services, something where people have said Lisa Smith is missing Mm -hmm. and there's some record of it. But as I look at that number and we're using it as kind of the big scope, but then narrowing down to this is one story of one black girl that was technically missing for 12 years. Never reported, though. Right. The issue is larger than we've imagined in terms of what's going on with our black girls. And as we're looking at issues of like sex trafficking, human trafficking, the face of it is white girls. The victim of it is black girls. Right. I don't know that we even as black women have any real clear thought as to why all these black girls are going missing. We know when we see it on Facebook to share it. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, I don't know that we know even what to do in response. And I feel like, why isn't it being talked about more? Mm -hmm. I feel like when you do see a post like that on Facebook, it alarms people. And they're like, how come this is not all over the news? Right. If it was 64,000 white girls missing. If there was one. It would be 
posters. Right. It would be all type of things. Right. Rewards, all this thing. Right. Because even right now in the news, we're hearing about that white mother whose two kids are missing. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's news every day. It's big news. She's been arrested and put aside and all that kind of stuff. So it's big news every day about those two kids. But when we compare it to the young lady in Milwaukee and her two babies that were missing, there was no Amber Alert until a week after right. they were missing, even though a neighbor reported that she heard her say, don't kill me, don't kill me. So what are some of the things that, you know, we could do? I think that the situation with Erica is complicated in that there's reports that Marie said no one ever asked about Erica, hmm. which is not true. Because I've spoken to people who asked about Erica and asked her specifically who asked her girls about Erica. So it's simply not true that no one asked. And I think it's important to say that. And I probably will repeat that several times mm -hmm. because it's important that Erica Hill mattered. Right. And she mattered to people, even though she wasn't the most popular girl. She didn't have loads of friends, but she was somebody that people remembered and knew. And she was a person who lived and because of that, she deserved just the dignity of that. Yes. So it becomes kind of complicated because when people would ask, it would be, well, she moved with another family. Well, where's her number? Where she's at? You know, that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. my understanding is that her family from Joliet also was looking for her, but didn't know how to contact up here. So it becomes a bit complicated, but even just supposing, do you think there's anything that just from what you know of the story, that anything more that people could have done in any way to just be more insistent? With Marie? With Marie around where she at. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, especially if it was people who continually was asking her, I would have popped up, mm -hmm. go to her house. I mean, I don't know if she would have necessarily let anybody in, but if mm -hmm. this is someone, a friend's child that I cared about, knowing the person that I am, mm -hmm. and I keep getting the same answer, I'm just, I'm showing up mm -hmm. out of concern. Yeah. I'm, and you don't need to know. She doesn't need to know why. Mm -hmm. You can always play something off. I just want to come visit, mm -hmm. see see how the family's doing. Right. And... I think if people really, really were concerned, they should have reported it. Mm -hmm. Reported yeah. something. We I, haven't yeah. seen Erica. Right. We've been asking her whereabouts and we keep getting different stories. You keep getting different stories that don't make sense. Right. And I think part of the challenge with that is, one, some of the people that were asking were girls themselves. Okay. Okay. But having spoken to folks at her school... It was Erica reported abuse one day. Mm -hmm. The next day, all the kids were pulled from school. The school never saw her again. Mm. She was never re-enrolled in school. And they left town for a while. They came back. It was 2004 when the report was made. Erica was in eighth grade. They called social services. They sent her home. And then that was it. And then at some point in time, they left and the social worker is saying, basically, he went back to the house. Two days later, the apartment was empty. Wow. And because he wasn't able to get her, get a hold of her to do an investigation, they closed the case. Mm. 
They was gone for a year, year and a half or so. They come back, get back enrolled in school district. Marie starts working for the Masson Metropolitan School District. And during that time, Erica was never enrolled in school. She was listed as homeschooled mm-hmm. while the other kids were in school. Mm-hmm. And so there was some window of time between 2005 and 2007 when there was a window where somebody could have shown up at her house when she came back in town. Mm-hmm. And just, hey, how you doing, girl? You know, got you a plate? You know, right? something. Right. Like you said, you just pop up. And I love that you said that because I think in this day and age of social distance, because we do a lot of social media, we don't know our neighbors like we used to, we keep a certain distance. I think we don't go that extra mile as adults right? to say something doesn't seem right. Let me go a little farther and see what can be done. And I guess, I mean, I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but it depends on how you were raised. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I know there are some families that be like, mind your business. Right. Don't get involved. Mm-hmm. But my mom taught me, if you feel like something is wrong or if you feel suspicious of something, then go and try to figure out what's going on. Yeah. And especially if there's a child involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do a lot of groups with youth. And I just recently did one. Mm -hmm. And I asked them, I said, if something was going on at home, who are three adults that you could talk with about what's going on Mm -hmm. that aren't in your immediate family? I would say 75% of the kids couldn't come up with one person. That's so sad. Yeah. Not one person. And, you know, I kind of do it first, just no prompting. Mm-hmm. just to see what they come up on their own. And then even with prompting, how about at school? How about in the community? Do you go to church? And they still struggle. I wonder why that is. And I guess I say that to ask you, what can we do? Because I know you were part of church family growing up. Mm-hmm. What can we do, even from the church front? Because Marie and her family all were involved in a local church, very deeply involved in a local church. And sometimes I sit and I wonder, didn't anybody see anything? Mm-hmm. See anything? And like some of Erica's friends that I spoke with, you know, they talk about the way she dressed, you know, wasn't the same as everybody. They talk about her hair wasn't the same as everybody, even to the point where she had crochet braids that were falling out. And I'm thinking if sixth graders and seventh graders noticed that, then grown people notice that. Right. I was just going to say, I feel like within the church, people really, this is my experience, experience, especially at the church that I went to, tend to mind their business mm-hmm. and not get involved. I don't know what that's about, mm-hmm. but it shouldn't be that way. But right. for some reason, it is. Right. And so I want our listeners to even think about right now, because sometimes even as parents, we have to give our children permission Like, if something ain't right, you need something, here's some people that are good to help them to identify that, right? Because sometimes something just go wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, you could fall and hit your head and need some help. You know what I'm saying? Just anything could be going on. And I think it's important to even just talk to our kids about that, to know here's a safe person that you can go to and talk to if you need something. Mm -hmm. Because, again, with the social distance, like even raising my kids, I used to make them call different places. Mm -hmm. You want some pizza? You're going to have to order it. 
I'm going to pay for it. You order. Like I used to make them do, you want to know if they sell that at the store? Call. Yeah. Because I don't want to call. I don't want to talk to anybody. They want to text. If they can't text you, that's the end of the conversation. <laughs> but I made them and I see it in them now as adults. They're able to take care of business in a way that even a lot of their cohorts don't know how to call people on the phone to take care of business. Mm-hmm. So I think even now it's even more important for us to be intentional about helping kids communicate. Yeah. Definitely. And not just by, like you said, texting or on social media, like it needs to be a person to person. Right. I know my boys can name three people off the top of their head besides me if I'm not available to talk to. Yeah. And I just feel like as parents, we need to let our kids know it's okay to talk to another adult besides me if something is wrong and I'm not available. Right. But then there's parents that be like, I don't want you talking to nobody else. I don't want nobody knowing our business. Right. Right. That's the problem. Right. And having a balance with it, you know what I'm saying? With with helping kids understand the difference between just talking about stuff running your mouth mm-hmm. and I need some help. Right. And knowing the difference with that. How do you think your sons came to that? Did you purposely talk with them about that? Or is it just the type of relationships that you have that they see? that they know who these people are and that they can trust them. I feel like just growing up, it was a mixture of both, but mainly just seeing the type of people that I surround myself with and that I trust. Mm -hmm. So then they automatically trust. I mean, because they are either family members Mm -hmm. or close friends of the family. So I feel like they, okay, it's okay. Mm -hmm. If my mom's not available, then I can talk to this person. If yeah. this person is unavailable, I can go to this person or this person Yeah, and feel right. totally safe and secure talking to them about things. Yeah. What role do you think in your former work does substance abuse play in physical abuse situations with mothers and fathers and their kids? What role? Well, yeah. Do you think... Um, do you think people who struggle with substances tend to be more physically abusive. Do you think people who struggle with mental health tend to be more physically abusive to their kids? Honestly, I feel like a person with a substance abuse problem because of how my mom grew up. My grandfather was an alcoholic Mm -hmm. and he was very abusive towards my grandmother when he drank. And to some of the kids, I just found out to my aunt and uncles. And then I knew a cousin that suffered from mental illness. Mm Mm-hmm. Hers was more verbal versus okay. physical. Yes. So to me, I feel like someone who's under the influence, mm-hmm. I don't know why, tends to be more physical Yeah. than mental and verbally. Okay. That's interesting. I know my mother grew up in a abusive household with her stepfather. Mm-hmm. He abused all kinds of ways. You know, he abused, physically abused my grandmother. He was very physically abusive with my uncles to the point where both of them left home early, like 15, 16, and joined the army mm. and the armed forces, wow. I should say, because they had to get out of the home. And I think um, with my mom, he was sexually abusive. Mm. And so he was all kind of ways. And my mother used to say that when he drank one thing, he was nice, friendly, mm-hmm. you know, lovey-dovey. But then when he drank another thing, 
and I can't remember which was which, that's when you better get out the way because all hell was going to break loose. That was, yeah. That was my grandfather, as I was told, like, grandma running down the street one time naked mm-hmm. trying to oh get my away. God. Mm-hmm. Wow. And he just quit on his own. Wow. Yep. Wow. Ooh. And the same thing with my aunt. Like, I grew up seeing family members abuse, mm-hmm. but it was more physical from drinking. Wow. Wow. Um, and I felt like my stepdad had mental issues, but he also was an addict. Okay. And he his was more mental, though, because he didn't drink, really. Okay. And his was more mental towards my mom. As we talk, and you mentioned mental health, and I know when you're dealing in any substance abuse program, you're looking at a number of things. So mm-hmm. mental health com- is going to come in play when you're walking people through their journey of healing and sobriety. What, in your opinion, through your experience that you've had working in that field, can we as a community of people do, and we'll make it narrower, as Black women in our own families do to support Black women in our own families that we see are struggling with mental health, who are struggling with substance abuse, and we see the impact that it's having on their kids. That's kind of a hard one because I feel like the moment you bring up some sort of therapy or counseling, they shut down. We have an aunt that is an alcoholic, and now she has an enlarged heart and some other issues like severe issues and she will not stop drinking so we came together as a family did an intervention she still didn't budge wow she finally came around Mm -hmm. um, long story short but i feel like it was important for us as a family to come together and keep on her and let the person know that you're not there to cause them any harm you want them to get better Mm -hmm. you're there to support them but they need to do this in order to be better. I think therapy and counseling is, I think it's important. Mm-hmm. You just got to get them on board somehow. You got to be right. persistent. So what did your intervention look like? Well, ours was different because she's in Beloit. Mm-hmm. My mom's in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. I'm here. My auntie's in Atlanta. So it was all by phone okay, and constant calls and checkups and checking up on her and multiple phone calls and I don't know if it she got tired of us <laughs> she don't drink anymore because wow. she was drinking filling up water bottles of vodka and, wow and at my um uncle's funeral had it a bottle at church wow at, at, at the ch- funeral at the funeral she had some vodka in her bottle in at a church water bottle yes wow that's how bad it was wow and you have to if the, if you have examples of people in your family mm-hmm. like my uncle I'm like you know uncle so and so has cirrhosis of the liver do you mm-hmm. want that to happen to mm-hmm. you and you got to think about your kids and you have so much to live for you got to be persistent yeah and let them know that they're they're supported and that you love them and you need to do it cuz i mean if that once they turn a certain age you can't make them and that's what she kept saying y'all can't make me cuz we thought we could just grab her and take her. But right. You can't do that. Right. She's an adult. Exactly. And she has to be willing. Mm-hmm. So I love it. Call the hell out of them, y'all. Go over there. Bug the hell out of them. Because you never know what's going to stick when. Yep. 
Her daughter kept showing up, just popping up at her house. I mean, and was crying like, mom, mm-hmm. I need you to do this. You have grandkids. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, wow. She finally came too. Wow. That's such a blessing. That's such a blessing. And I appreciate you saying that and for sharing that because I think we need to be reminded sometimes that, one, not to give up hope on people. Sometimes how you show that hope and that love changes because sometimes you got to kind of adjust because people can be very abusive sometimes mm-hmm. when they want to keep doing what they're doing. Yep. You Stubborn know, is all get out. Yes, <laughs> to keep the faith. And those of us who are faithful people, we know prayer is important. Yes. But also that's showing up because sometimes the prayer is you calling. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the prayer is, like you said, her daughter showing up. But that consistency of saying, I see you, I love you, and, and life can be better for you. Yes. You're one choice away from that. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Now, you grew up in Madison. Yeah. Partially. How old were you when you came to Madison? Maybe in terms of school. What's the first school you went to? Go. I did go to... Grade school and high school here. So okay. Which schools did you go to? Time. For grade school, I yeah. don't know. No names. I just remember my high school, which is oh the Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you go to Senate right next no. door? Okay. No. Okay. Okay. Because one of the things that I've asked some of the school folks about this case with Erica and the lack of going out of the way, mm-hmm. not just doing policy. But going out of the way in this extreme case and situation, how much did race come into it? So how did you feel your experience was as a black girl in the Madison schools? Did you feel seen, engaged? Did you struggle, have an easy time? I feel like I had an easy time, Mm -hmm. but I do feel like we were separate Mm. from everybody else. Like Mm -hmm. I feel like all the brown and black kids hung together. Mm -hmm. We did not mix. I don't know why that was, but we just didn't. We all stayed together in groups. Mm -hmm. I remember in the lunchroom, it would be all the black kids sitting together and then all the white kids sitting together. Yeah, that's pretty much was my high school situation (laughs) at West, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, the same question. Why do all the black kids sit together when there's a million white kids sitting together and 20 black kids sitting together? Right. Yeah. I I think part of it is we just feel safe amongst ourselves. I feel like they were scared to even try to make friends with any of the the black kids that Mm -hmm. would follow it. Like, that's how I honestly feel. Like, wow. I felt like there was a lot of, like, richy kids at La Follette Mm -hmm. when I went to high school. Mm -hmm. And I guess they just couldn't, I don't know, see themselves being friends or talking to any of the black kids. Not all of them, but a lot of them. I didn't really care for that school Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it was more white kids than anything Mm -hmm. at La Follette versus West and Memorial. Yeah. I mean, I think at West, when I went there, I think it was the same except... You know, in terms of ratio, because I think when I graduated, it might have been eight, ten black kids. Oh, wow. In my class. But I think we mixed more at West. Mm. You know, we certainly had our kind of like black clique and mm-hmm. at lunch and stuff like that. But I just think overall, from different experiences I've talked to other folks at other high schools, I think West tended to be a little bit more open minded. Okay. And even when my kids went there, same thing. Mm-hmm. So, Katina, what was the response from some of your classmates when they found out about 
Kiara's involvement and then coming out and telling? I feel like not my classmates per se, but people that my classmates knew okay. that knew Kiara said that they were upset with her. They were angry that she didn't come forward with this information. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's very interesting. Because I think it's complicated. It's very complicated. Because I think she was around 17 when Erica was killed, but she was a 17-year-old who had been abused her whole life, reportedly. Right. She reported that her mother told her that if she and any of her siblings told what happened to Erica, that the same thing would happen to them. Right. And like I said before, when people say things like that, you have to put the other person's shoes on. What would you do in that situation if that was your mother? Right. You don't know what you would do. And so to be angry at her, it just doesn't make any sense. I don't think it's right because she was fearful. Right. And she also was protecting her mother. Because they, I mean, I'm not going to say they had a, even though she was going through what she was going through, you could still tell they had some type of, I don't want to say loving, but it was something was there. Yeah. A, a relationship. Yeah. Because I know I spoke to one of Kiara's friends and she said once she found out what happened, she just stopped messing with her. You know, this really scared her, kind of really freaked her out. I can understand that, too, because you think a certain thing about this person, too. Right. And even though she wasn't a friend of Erica, she was Kiara's friend, still just thinking that. And then I talked to another one of her friends who said, you know, I just wish she would have felt she could tell us. But how do you tell the worst thing? Right. I mean, when you are holding on to something like that, I don't think I would tell anybody, especially other teenagers. Right. No way. Right. Because right. I'm not saying all teenagers, but... They like to gossip. Right. I told a group of youth recently, I said, if you tell, if you try to get advice and you're only getting it from your friends, you're getting 12-year-old advice. Right. You know, you're getting 15-year-old <laughs> advice. And I'm sure that situation felt more serious than what she probably felt another teenager could understand. Of course. And could help and deal with. Plus, if I saw my sister cousin dead on my bathroom floor... And my mother said, if you tell, I'm going to do the same thing to you. I'm really going to believe what she said. And that fear is enough to keep you quiet for a very long time. Yes. You would see them sometimes. So I know that she and Kiara were both in the class together. Mm -hmm. But sometimes her other kids would come too. Yep. And I don't know if it was because it might have been. But we had dinner every Wednesday dinner was provided and so they would come and eat okay and so she would bring her other kids with her too they would sit quietly towards the back of the classroom Mm -hmm. but I do remember coming to class sometimes and she would sit in her van with her kids and you could hear her her voice was very loud I'm not going to say she was necessarily yelling I think Mm -hmm. it was more like fussing. And now it has me thinking, like, what was she telling them? Was she telling them, y'all better not say a word. Y'all better not do this. You better behave in a certain manner. Because I'm telling you, them kids, when they would come to class, was quiet and did not make a sound unless they were told to speak. Wow. And they're older by this time, right? 2011. 
I don't even I don't even know how old her other kids were at the time. I think Kiara's a couple years older than her sister, mm-hmm. a few more older than her brother. So to be in a program, I know Kiara would have at least had to been eighteen because mm-hmm. you have to be an adult in that program. And, yeah, and, for and, the adult one, yes, right. So at this point, you said two thousand ten. She's almost twenty, more or less, because if she was seventeen in two thousand and seven, yeah. By 2010, she's almost 1920. Yep. And so the sister then would have been... I don't know how far apart they are. I think they're two years apart. Oh, okay. Or they're about... So then the sister would have been 17, 18. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's kind of hard to keep most teenagers quiet. Oh, they were quiet. They were quiet. They did not really interact with other people unless she was around. Wow. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Wow. Was there anything else we were going to say? You know, because I think that's just an important part to kind of show the type of control that she still had over these adult children. Yes. Fear and control that was there that really underscores the understanding of why they would have remained silent for so long. Mm -hmm. One of my friends that also knew Sierra had reached out to her about being a part of telling this story. And she said, I just don't talk about it. Mm. You know, I just don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Still, there's that silence, I think. Yeah. And the what I would imagine is a wrestling between allegiances, between what you know is right, what you know is wrong. Mm-hmm. And what you know is your mother and being caught somewhere in the midst of that. Yes. I don't even know if enough attention has even been given to the fact that Kiara had a lot of courage. Yes. To come forward and tell. To hold that in for so many years. I don't know how she did it. Yeah. I mean, that's tough. I mean, because honestly, if I ask myself, reversed situation don't you think it would have been hard to turn your mama in? Yes. Yeah. Right? You know, and I certainly understand even when your mom isn't all that she would have could be, you still love her. Right. Then you have that struggle. And to be able to come forward, I know that cost us something. But I also know she gained something too. Yes. I could almost imagine just... You have a different weight, but I can almost imagine the weight that would have come off mm-hmm. her shoulders. Because it's hard to hold on to secrets. You know, I got on my No More Secret shirt <laughs> on today. Because after a while, I always say the secret itself, the fact that you're holding a secret becomes even more toxic almost than the secret you're holding. Because yeah. secrecy is just really, really damaging. I mean, I'm sure it affected her mental and emotional. She looks really happy now, though. I've seen pictures okay. of her and her kids. That's good. I don't know if it's her husband or boyfriend, but... That's good. It's important to be able to, you know, heal. And I hope, you know, for the sake of her kids, Marie's kids, I hope that they are healing, you know. But I think if, again, if you can't talk about it, you can't heal what you won't reveal. You know, I hope they 
find their healing path because everybody heals at different points and different mm-hmm. times and, and in different ways. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, I think that's most of the questions that I have for you. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? Any thoughts? No, but I'm excited for this project and I can't wait to hear it after it's all put together. Well, I really appreciate you because, again, as I said at the start, it's in talking that we begin to heal Mm -hmm. and that we begin to learn how we can do better. Right, right. And how we can better see our black girls, right? Because as black women, if we don't see them, who will? Right. So thank you so much for taking the time, for sharing. I really appreciate you. You're welcome. All right. All right. Thank you, girl. Mm-hmm. You said you were talking to your friend about? Oh, oh, yeah. Me and my friend were just talking about how when she would bring the other kids to class, how they wouldn't really interact with anyone unless she was around and no laughing, no joking. I mean, because we the class was serious, but we had fun, cracked jokes, sang, rap, did whatever and nothing. It was kind of sad to see that. Wow. Even you would think they'd be talking to each other, passing a note, whispering, saying something. Nope. Nothing. Just sat there. Mm-hmm. Ate Qu- their dinner quietly. And like I said, if she was around, they could interact with other people. But if she left the room, even to go to the bathroom, it was just like, don't say nothing to nobody. About nothing. As my grandmother would say, mm, 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 that was a good conversation. And listen, we're not playing. We mean this thing. We mean to defend black girlhood by taking on the tough conversations that need to be had in order to do so. And we would love for you to get more connected with our work and our mission by visiting Lalata.org to explore the dynamic work we're doing to defend black girls everywhere they are. And while you're there, we invite you to join our mailing list so you will not miss one single fearless conversation.